welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Welcome back to the Proclaim podcast. This is Eric Chow, director of Proclaim, coming in with a new episode with the founder of Catholic Christian Outreach, Andre Renier. Andre has been a mentor to me and a mentor to many, uh, not just here in our archdiocese, but across Canada and around the world. Uh, he started the, the movement with his wife, Angel, Catholic Christian Outreach, which started as a university student movement that is dedicated to evangelization and has now found its impact uh, beyond the university campus. Particularly here in the Archdiocese, we have been so blessed to have CCO be part of our missional work, uh, not only in the universities here at Simon Fraser and at UBC, but in parishes over a good part of a decade, I'd say, if not more where CCO faith studies have been a fruitful part of discipleship formation uh, here in our archdiocese. So welcome, Andre. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on podcast with me. It's it's a real pleasure to be with you. But when you start using words like uh, uh, referring to 10 years and 20 years, I, I feel very old. You know, it's <laughs> like we've been around for a long time. Yeah. Andre, I met you about 20 years ago, and I was a little you know, baby university student. And over the years, I've just uh, been so blessed by your friendship and your mentorship and your fathering to me. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation because I know you have uh, a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and experience. And um, and I just can't wait to allow that to be shared with our Proclaim listeners. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it all. So let's get into it. We talked about... Uh, I guess, the topic of conversion. But I think to expand that, we, we wanted to bring about a conversation around the power of the gospel, uh, how, um, how it's meant to impact our lives and, and drive our, um, our efforts, but, but really where it might have gotten lost in some ways and uh, maybe the confusion or the, like the, uh, the muting of the power of the gospel. And you had a quote you wanted to share first to help us move uh, the conversation forward. Well, you know, out of, you know, the Second Vatican Council was inviting the church to open up her windows so that the world could look in and also that the church could look and see the world. Meaning if we were going to be irrelevant and bring any... Um, uh, good news to the world, transformation to the world, that we had to understand the world. And so there, the documents at the Second Vatican Council were really inviting the Church to, to reconsider her missionary nature. Her nature as a Christian, meaning our spiritual life, but also our missionary life. And one of the documents um, you know, that came out of the Second Vatican Council, one of the first ones... Uh, was it came from John uh, Paul VI, um, Evangelii Nutiandi. It's a great document on you know, um, evangelization in the modern world. And here is the quote at the beginning of the document, uh, and I, I think it's relevant for us today, but he says, This fidelity, both to the message whose servant we are, basically Jesus, and the people to whom we must transmit it, living and intact, is a central axis of evangelization. It poses three burning questions which should be on our mind constantly. So this message that we are responsible for, um, 
what is it and how are we transmitting it should be invites us to consider three questions. And I'd like to share the questions with you. I think they're they're thought provoking, but also, you know, back in 1974, but I think it is for us today. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> to what extent, in what way is the evangelical force capable of really transforming the people of this century? Basically, we need to ask ourselves, do we believe that the power of the gospel, Jesus, actually has power to change lives? And it's a really important question to, to consider, to think about, to talk about, and, and to, to come to some kind of conclusion on it. But the second question is more, what has happened to that message? Why isn't it transformative? Why has it kind of been muted or um, the power taken out of it? It's almost like pretty ordinary. It's a, it's, a, it's a good story to share with your children, but it doesn't have transformative power. And that is the reality in the church today for, for many of us is that Jesus is kind of like a good thing. Uh, but the third question is kind of what proclaims all about, you know. What method should be followed in order that the power of the gospel may have its effect? Okay, what are we going to do about it, okay? We recognize it's been muted or silenced or kind of the power has been taken out of it. What are we going to do to re-engage the, the message of the gospel? And so I think that's what Proclaim is trying to, to do and effectively accomplishing, bringing to mind the message of the gospel you know, almost reminding us who we are as Christians, that we we are we have Christ in our in our lives. The light of the world is in our lives. You know, we are the salt of the earth and and the light of the world. You know, um, so there's there's something powerful about it um, that proclaim is trying to remind us. But I think there's still more to talk about in regards to the power of the gospel conversion transformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Proclaim has a mission statement, and it's to awaken disciples to proclaim Jesus. And in order for us to proclaim Jesus, we have to be uh, overwhelmed by the power of the gospel to allow our lives to be transformed by that power. And you and I, off off mic earlier, we were talking a little bit about this, like, this ability or the need for us to choose to receive the power of the gospel in our lives. And so it's not just an intellectual assent to say, Yep, I believe that's the power of the gospel. Like there is power in the good news, but it requires you know the ability to know what is the gospel, what is the good news. Uh, it's it also requires us to choose and to accept this uh, the gospel in order for it to have power in our lives. But you know how how can we I guess uh, rediscover the power of the gospel? Well, I, I think first we have to one experience the power of the gospel. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, to really be a disciple, to really understand what God is able to do, what he desires to do in our lives, we actually have to experience it. it, it our faith is really an experiential faith, just like marriage is experiential. You know, we don't just get married in our head. I mean, our bodies are brought into it. And I think... For us to really be able to understand the power of the gospel, we, our lives would have to be transformed by it. So that's, that's the first thing, is, um, is that you know, Jesus has to be in us. 
I think it's Pope Francis said, it's different. It's a different thing to know about Jesus and know him. And, and I think this is, this is the first thing, because I can't, I can't give you an explanation of the power of the gospel, you know, just a, a really good intellectual or theological explanation. It, it does make sense. It's compelling. But for you to really know it, you actually have to experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second um, thing is that when we do know it, you know, when we've encountered it, we have to be convinced that this message is for everyone. That Jesus came to save everyone. He came to reconcile us all back to the Father. And that is so important because if we think it's just, you know, for a few of us, then I, I think it becomes more of a like a, a spirituality or a, a means by which I meditate and the way I see my life and it brings peace and and tranquility in my life and maybe some meaning and purpose. And, and that's good. But to really understand the power of the gospel, we have to realize that Jesus came, God came into the world to reconcile the world. Meaning the, the world was lost. The, you know, people were lost. People did not know they're far away. And that Jesus came to reconcile us back, to restore what happened in the garden and bring us back. I know it's a basic theology, but if you think about it, if you meditate on it, this is not just, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm a Catholic now and, you know, Adam and Eve and, you know, Jesus and the Eucharist and all, they all make sense. Um, and that's good. It's in our head, it makes sense. But if we just stop and think, okay, he came to restore us back, that means that we weren't somewhere before. That means that we had to be reconciled to something, meaning we were, we were somewhere else, and, and now we're in a different place. I just want, want to read a quote. Um, this is a quote that um, oriented the church um, in the Synod in 2012 in Rome on the new evangelization. Just listen to this. The heart of evangelization, the encounter with Jesus Christ. After this encounter, everything is different as a result of metanoia. That is the state of conversion. In a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, faith takes the form of a relationship with him. So what the church is telling us is that when we encounter Jesus, everything changes. That means it was something before, and now it's changed. It's a new thing. We're, we're kind of born again. We're, we're a new creation. There, there's a transformation. It's almost like we've entered into a new, whole new world. It's like I was dating my wife, and now I'm married to her. There's a, a big difference. And this transformation is what God has invited the world to. So every single, not just me, not my, just my, you know, it's a nice, peaceful, tranquil, spiritual place, the church, I love it, I love Jesus. But no, 
the power of the gospel is for everyone, meaning everyone needs a transformation. Um, that means everyone at one time was kind of somewhere else, and now they've been found. Mm-hmm. When you talk about encounter, um, I think that's a word that gets used a lot or, um, when it comes to desired outcomes for programs or some activities within the context of the parish. You know, we want to help people encounter God or God encounter us. And that can be a little bit misleading or not fully understood. So what does encounter with God mean, and how does that relate to conversion? What a great question, and I've given a lot of thought, and so um, I'm, I'm going to share my thoughts, and if, if you need some clarification, um, please feel free to say, what do you mean by that? Sounds good. But I think there's a difference between encounter and conversion, and it's really important that we understand it. I encountered my wife in 1987. I saw her. We met. I encountered, oh, wow, she captured my imagination. That was an encounter. That was, it was almost like my mind um, was, was um, came to term or began to understand, wow, this is her. This is the one. Um, and she's attractive. She's funny. I enjoy her. Um, so there's an encounter there. We got to know each other. And so that's the same thing with, with God, is that we have plenty of encounters with him and we get to realize, wow, he's awesome. Like, he, he really is who he says he is. You know, like, it's almost like our hearts are being captured by it. But a conversion is, it's like encounter is kind of like, oh, I'm impressed. A conversion is, I'm willing to give myself to it. So one is almost like we're receiving something, you know, and it's moving us. But a conversion is, I am adhering to it. I'm I'm giving myself to it. I'm I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice. on On October fifteenth, nineteen eighty eight, I said to my wife, "In good times, bad times, you're the one," mm-hmm. you know. And I, I made a promise to her, and that that decision, that kind of that. Um, that decision to kind of adhere, to say yes to her, changed sacramentally, supernaturally, our relationship. At one time, we were just minutes before, we were two people who encountered each other and were really impressed, and we even loved each other. But at that moment, we became one. Mm -hmm. There is a conversion, meaning a metanoia, a change of direction. My life is no longer the same. Um, and so, but it's a supernatural response, a, a, a transformation. It's not just, oh, I, you know, I was living a bad life and now I'm living a good life, which is a good thing. But I'm talking about the orientation of our whole personhood. Like, it's like I was heading kind of in this direction, but now God has done something extraordinary and brought me, it's almost like, I couldn't have done it on my own. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have done it on my own. He's the one that changed my heart, my my disposition, the way I saw him, the way I understand the world, the way, the way you know. Uh, there's a quote. I mean, if you have any clarifications, I, I'm going to find the quote. But it's it really is an extraordinary thing that God does, not what we do. 
Yeah, that's a great distinction. And I'd, I'd even maybe throw in a couple of thoughts around relationship and how before you were married, there were certain aspects of your relationship that brought about encounter, meaning you had conversations, you shared your life, you shared experiences, etc. And those encounters continued through marriage, meaning you still encounter your wife in, in various ways, whether you're messaging, calling, going on vacation, sharing new experiences with family and, and others. And, uh, and, and to bring that into, into context of our relationship with God, we, in can, we can encounter God through uh, wonderful experiences uh, in the liturgy or in nature or at a retreat or through a talk or through a friend. And that continues through our, our relationship with God throughout our life that we continue to have those. But you made a distinct, um, I guess, you made a distinction around where conversion occurred, and that was at, at your wedding, that there was a, a choice that was made. And so uh, how does one make a choice to, uh, to enter into relationship. I think in your quote, you mentioned where faith becomes relationship, like the encounter is when faith becomes a relationship. I can't remember exactly what the mm-hmm. wording was. Uh, how does one make that choice uh, to uh, enter relationship with God? So the encounter has occurred, right? Something has happened where you've been convicted by faith that God is real, that God loves you, that that God has uh, a great plan for you. Something has stirred up that encounter. What? How do we make a response uh, to to God through the, uh, I mean, because of the encounter? What a great question, and I have an answer to that. Uh, but and by the way, the encounter conversion thing—it's uh, not a black and white thing. It's kind of—it's very relational. So mm-hmm. you know, we can't say okay, this and then that. But the point I'm trying to make there is the encounter. Is just an experience that I've had. A conversion is a decision I've made. Okay. Okay? And so in marriage, you know, you have encounters throughout your marriage, good times, bad times, but conversion is where you made that decision to do that which the encounter invited. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. So the next question is, you know, like how do you say yes? And, you know, this isn't a mystery. Um... Well, it is kind of a mystery, but it, it, God is kind of in the theology of the body that John, St. John Paul II talked a lot about is that we actually, God is, is not just spiritual in the heavens, you know, like in a mystical thing. He actually put in human condition how we actually relate to him. And so in the marriage ceremony, um, it's clearly, the church has clearly articulated how you get married. So let me read. From the Catechism, teaching on marriage, okay? So in in the Catechism, um, you know, 1627, it says, the consent consists in a human act, which the partners mutually give themselves to each other. I take you to be my wife. I take you to be my husband. So... What is essential in marriage is consent. Meaning, I have to say yes. I can't be coerced into it. It actually says that if you're coerced, it's not marriage. Mm -hmm. That that you can't manipulate somebody. And you can't just um, say whatever you want. You can't say, hey, she's the one. The Lord, um, the church has taught us that the consent happens 
with the clear articulation, I take you. And she says, I take you back. Okay. So there is a very clear um, intent. Words express it. So in marriage, I have to say to my wife, as she had to say to me, you know, I take you. And she said, I, I say, I take, and she takes me. And the church now says, they said the right thing. Mm-hmm. But doesn't that seem like almost like, why is it mechanical? Why, why do you have to say those words? Can't you say other words? But the church in her wisdom and reflecting the heart of God is that actual words communicate the desire of your heart. Motions don't because your emotions come and go, but words do. They hold weight. Yes, I'll come um, to your party. It's a lot different than saying, oh, I feel like going to your party. And so words matter because they express the desire of your heart. And so the church says consent happens by words. Mm -hmm. And those words are essential and they're very, they're, they're clear. And so how do you say yes to Jesus? By just clearly saying words to him. Mm -hmm. Saying, Jesus, I want you to be at the center of my life. Or Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Or Jesus, yes, I choose you. But not just kind of like a quick prayer. You know, I choose you and then move on. No, the words are intentional. Like when I... When I said yes to my wife in 1988, they were serious because the night before, I knew next day I can't turn back from this. So the yes was like final. There was weight to it. There was weight to it. And the same thing is that when we say yes to Jesus, not just a pass by, yeah, I'll go to the movies with you. It's like, I give my heart to you mm-hmm. in good times and in bad. And that in itself, that decision, th- those words to God in, in a solemn and a very serious way, God honors that and brings about a supernatural transformation. And I have a book I wrote on this topic. So if people are trying to fill in the blanks, you know, I have a book that we'll put in the show breaks notes. breaks this down, yeah. but I think it's something. But I, uh, do you have any? I just want to read something that jump uh, Pope Benedict says. This idea of of decision of words. Okay, um, some people say it sounds Protestant. Sounds like an altar call. Billy Graham did that. Come and give your life to Jesus. Do the sinner's prayer. Um, well. It's, it's not Protestant. It's very much the heart of God. It's the nature of God, relationship. And you choose relationship. Marriage is an example of that, okay? But this is what Pope Benedict, in his homily at World Youth Day in Spain, um, he, this is, I want to read it to you. He says, Faith starts with God, who opens his heart to us and invites us to share in his own divine life. Faith does not simply provide information about Christ. Rather, it entails a personal relationship with Christ, a surrender of our whole person 
with all our understanding, with all our feeling to God, self-revelation. So Jesus question, who do you say that I am, is ultimately a challenge to the disciples to make a personal decision for Jesus. And then he goes on, dear young people, but I, I say, dear Catholic, <laughs> um, today Christ is asking you the same question, which he asked the apostles, who do you say that I am? And what I'm about to continue in this homily is the point that I've been trying to make. So he says, who do you say that I am? And this is what the vicar of Christ said to all these young people to us today. Respond to him. Meaning, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And it's an invitation to respond to him. But I'm sure the crowd says, well, how do I respond to him? You might... The listener might say, okay, Andre, yes, sounds good, but how do I respond to him? And this is what Pope Benedict said. You respond to him by saying to him, meaning you respond not by feeling good about God or bad about God or bad about yourself or repent of, these are all really important, but he says, say to him, well, what do I say to him? And this is what he said. He, this is in quotations. It's a prayer. But he's not praying over them. He's asking them to, to talk to God. Say to him. He's not saying, okay, God bless these people that they would know you and love you. No, he says, you say to, th to him. And he goes, Jesus, I know that you are the son of God who have given your life for me. I want to follow you faithfully and to be led by your word. You know me and you love me. I place my trust in you and I put my whole life in your hands. I want you to be the power that strengthens me and the joy which never leaves me. End of quote. Meaning, what Pope Benedict did, what Pope Benedict did was invited people to respond by saying words, I do. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my case for um, conversion. That's powerful. Yeah. yeah, before we got on, we were talking about the another quote from St. John Paul II where he succinctly brings uh, an understanding of conversion where he says, conversion is accepting by personal decision the saving sovereignty of Jesus Christ and becoming his disciple. I think it summarizes a lot, almost all of what you've said where we have to make by personal decision, and Pope Benedict has given us instruction and guidance to say that we can do that with our words and through prayer, to accept by personal decision that Jesus saves, that he is a savior, sovereignty, that he is our Lord, that he, that he is our master, he is the king, he's the one whom we follow. And then it goes on to say, and become his disciple. So not only am I accepting who Jesus is in my life, and, and choosing to be in relationship, but now I'm also accepting the work it's going to require to be a disciple, right? When you made your decision to be a husband to Angel, you also made this, the decision that you will work towards continuing to be a good husband and to share your life with her uh, to the end. And so conversion is, it, it, I think what you're bringing forward is how important it is for us to respond with our words but to also be fully, as much as we can in the moment, to, to be aware of what we are saying with our words. I'm accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, 
and I'm also accepting to be his disciple, which means I will follow him, learn how to be a, a disciple, like learn his ways, learn his guidance, like be more familiar with his voice through prayer and through scripture and to respond to his commands and his instructions as we, as we know it. Yeah, and I actually want to even put more emphasis on the decision and its, its ability to make you a disciple. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an act, this is grace. This is not, I am, you know, I'm going to, you know, you know, um, you know, clamp my fist and I'm going to do this. Okay, I'm for you, Lord, you know, and these are all good. But actually, the scriptures say in Revelations, it says, you know, I stand at the door knocking. And whoever opens up the door, meaning says yes, I will come in and dine with them and them with me. Meaning something happens when we say yes. And in Dea Verbum chapter 5, read it. Just go, you know, go to Google and say Dea Verbum chapter 5 and read it. It's just like, five sentences, but it says that when we adhere, when we say yes, the Holy Spirit does something. And what it does, it explains four things. One is that our hearts, this is a supernatural thing, our hearts are now lifted to God, meaning something happens in us that we see God differently. And then it says, we are now given joy. I mean, this isn't, I'm now joyful. It's God has given, our yes has stirred up the presence of God's grace to be joyful. And then the third is that we'll be given eyes to see, meaning we will see the world differently. We'll see our purpose differently. We'll see like even the good and the bad differently. And then the fourth one is that we'll be given the grace to understand the revelation that has been you know, provided to us and we'll be able to see it and understand it with great ease. Meaning, if you want someone to be pro-life, convert them and instantly the Holy Spirit, they see, they become pro-life. You want them to understand the Eucharist, the liturgy, the Pope, you know, list, go on with all the theology of the church. Bring them to Jesus. Yep. It's grace. Yes. And the yes, what the church teaches us in Dea Verbum, in Revelation. God, when we say yes, God takes that yes and enters in and begins the work of transformation, of metanoia. That's good news. <laughs> yeah. Like that really is the power of the gospel. Like, I mean, we started with that quote and, and we mm-hmm. started with the topic of the power of the gospel. And certainly there is the power of the gospel in, in our understanding that Jesus saves, right? He, 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 he took on human form he took on our sins. He he died for us on the cross, and he rose again uh, from the dead to save us and to 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 give us a way to become part of the family of God. Like that's that's power. And you're saying that the power of the gospel also transforms us into who we like, who God wants us to be. And um, and there is a promise in that that not only do we get to see the world differently, and we get to see how God is moving in our lives and the lives around us, but that. Um, there is a promise of joy and there is a promise of like fulfillment and like that we would have life and life to the full. So the power of the gospel is not just that Jesus was or is our savior, but it transforms our lives as well. Well, Mary yeah. is a perfect disciple. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
and her magne- uh, her uh, her fiat uh, was what unleashed. You know, she had to say, "Let it be done," according yeah. to your word. She had to adhere. She didn't just get over uh, over um, overshadowed by the mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit, and then you know Jesus um, appeared. Um, she had to say yes, and then it happened. Mm-hmm. Something supernatural took place. Well, right. if we want to be a disciple, let us be a disciple the way the pattern of Mary. Right, and she said, "Let it be done." You know, and I think the big challenge today, you know, for us, if we want to to move um, and to reach out to our children, our neighbors, or those that are far off, giving them good argumentation for our faith, it's a good thing, but it's not what is going to bring about conversion. They are just going to either reject it or accept it, you know, and most of them are rejecting it. If you want to bring your kids back, um, give them a choice. Hmm. Say, and let Jesus do the converting. You know, uh, St. Therese Lisieux says, you know, I can't take up those stairs, you know, up those stairs. You know, it's too hard. The saints did it. I can't do it. Your, your children are probably saying the same thing. I, I don't want to be like you. I can't do that. I, I'll never be like that. And so she said, you know, there's an invention, a new invention. It's called an elevator. And she says, man, I just discovered the best way to get to the second floor of conversion is not up those stairs. I'm just going to jump in the arms of Jesus, and he's going to bring me up there. If you want your children or the people around you, your parishioners that are kind of a little bit on the periphery, just introduce them as compelling and as decisive as you can to Jesus and invite them to place Jesus at the center of their life. And then you'll see the work of conversion, bringing our people back to the heart of the church. So get equipped in Proclaim, and this is what you're trying to do, with the message of gospel on your lips. Mm-hmm. Know how to communicate Jesus and then go and proclaim him. And something beautiful is going to happen. God's going to do something. We're not going to do it. God's going to do it. We're just proclaiming the message. It's almost like what we're doing is op- helping open up doors. Mm-hmm. So that's the good news. That is a perfect spot to land the plane on this uh, episode. I'm just going to say a few things. And maybe what we can do to to end our podcast episode is, if you're open to it, would you? In- can I invite you to lead us and our our listeners into a prayer uh, and the prayer that we could pray is the uh, Pope Benedict's prayer of, um, of acknowledging who, who Jesus is. And while you're pulling that up, what I'm going to say to our listeners is, is that if, if you liked this podcast, uh, please consider sharing it, subscribe to our channel. We're going to put all of this in the show notes for you as well. And at the time of this recording, uh, we're, we're about to, um, I guess, embark on a number of initiatives that's going to help each of you be able to share the gospel with your words on your lips in relationship. And so please continue to follow us uh, through our email and newsletter and the various channels that we have, because we have a number of exciting things that are coming for 2024. So with that, thank you very much for listening. And we're going to close in a prayer. Yeah. Andre. Well, 
yes, we are going to. But uh, I want the listeners uh, to know that I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to invite you to pray. Yes. Because I can't convert you or I can, you know, force conversion <laughs> down you. But I can invite you to talk to God um, and and you, very, in an intentional way, invite him to place Jesus, him to be at the center of your life. And as Pope Benedict showed, it's just a matter, it's as easy as a small little prayer. Just say to him. And so I'm going to invite each of you who are listening, and if, uh, you know, what you've heard is, you know, really, it's almost like you can hear the knocking at your heart, and and it's like, oh, man, this, this is something I really desire for my own life. I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes right now. and uh, Unless you're driving and listening no, to no, us. No, no, I think, I think the Holy Spirit will take care <laughs> of all drivers. No. Uh, yes, um, make sure you're, you're on your couch or somewhere um, that you're not in danger, but I'm inviting you to just close your eyes and um, just imagine uh, you're standing before Jesus. I just see him there um, with his arms stretched out and, and I want you to look at him and ask yourself, you know, do I want Jesus, do I want you to be, speak to him, do I want Jesus to be at the center of my life? And as you kind of consider that, and when you feel ready, I'm going to invite you to speak to him these words, words that Pope Benedict invited out of the young people of World Youth Day to, to pray. But I want you to pray knowing that Jesus is listening to those words. And as the passage says, I stand at the door knocking, and whoever opens up the door, I will come in. Jesus, I know that you are the Son of God, who have given your life for me. I want to follow you faithfully and to be led by your word. You know me and you love me. I place my trust in you and I put my whole life into your hands. I want you to be the power that strengthens me and the joy which never leaves me. Amen.